Are you between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices moreover that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Posted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we're on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up the phone lines. Praise God. We haven't been able to say that for a while, but we are back where we need to be, new and improved, and praise God for answer prayers. So that local phone line is 702-650-5588. Again, if you're in the Las Vegas area, like to join in on our discussion, please dial 700-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll free number for you. That would be 800-366-8883. I say again, if you're joining us and calling outside the Las Vegas area, there is a toll-free number, which is 800-366-8883. We are being streamed live over KKVV's website, which is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just wave to you. And we are also being streamed live from Save the Lost at All Costs' website. And our website address is www.savethelostlv.com. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, please feel free to visit our website again, www.savethelostlv.org. Select the date that you'd like to listen to. The gospel is always free on our watch. And we have years of broadcast up there, so have at it and be blessed. We're also being archived on iTunes, so if you have an Apple device, you can catch us on iTunes. Again, the gospel is free on our watch there as well. If you have a cell phone, I strongly encourage you to lock this number in as one of your phone contacts. This is uh, how you can listen to KKVV via cell phone. And that number would be 563-999-3194. I say again, 563-999-3194. You can listen to KKV right now and listen to Save the Loss at All Costs or at your pleasure. But please, I strongly encourage you, lock that number in. It would be one of the greatest cell phone, cell phone contacts that you have. All righty. So I think we've got all that out the way. And what we're going to be talking about is praise and protest. And we're going to look at Psalm 73. Again, we're going to be talking about praise and protest. Amen. So, but I think we should look at it from protest then to praise. I think it'll make a lot more sense. So let me say from protest to praise. Amen. We're going to look at Psalm 73. So um, there is a very pivotal person in Psalm uh, 33, excuse me, 73, and we want to give you some background on him. Uh, I was doing some research, came across a nice, uh, well thought out paper on who was uh, Asaph. And so that's who we're going to be looking at mainly. And um, it was written by Richard Thompson. And let me tell you uh, a little bit about, bring you some excerpts from here. So it says, who was Asaph? 
Okay, so starting right now is written by Richard Thompson. It says, have you ever been disillusioned with people? Have you ever had life just not work out the way you expected it to? Have you ever wondered why it seems the faithful suffer while the wicked prosper? Have you ever questioned God when it seemed like he wasn't keeping his promises? If so, you will want to learn about one of the greats of faith in the Bible who faced all of those tests and asked all those questions. His name was Asaph. Most Christians do not even recognize his name. Even those who do, do not seem to recognize his importance. They probably just know he had something to do with the Psalms. It is recognized that Asaph was David's musical director and probably wrote much of the original, now lost music of David's Psalms. But much more importantly, he wrote 12 Psalms. He wrote more of the Bible than Peter, James, Jude, Jonah, Amos, Micah, Joel, Malachi, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Haggai, and Obadiah. Interestingly enough, if we take the time to dig it out, the Bible tells more about Asaph's family and life than it tells us about any other author of scriptures except Moses, David, Samuel, and perhaps Isaiah, Hosea, and Jeremiah. We know that in the time that Asaph lived, it would be from 100, no, 1020 to 920 B.C. Again, that would be from 1020 to 920 B.C. for all of David's reign through Solomon's reign and Jeroboam's reign. We know he lived in Jerusalem. We know that he worked as director of music at David's tent of meetings and at Solomon's temple. Okay, so then I want to interject this from Mr. Thompson. It said, Asaph was a young priest from the tribe of Levi, where David brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem in about 1000 to 995 B.C. His father, let me see, let me pronounce this, B-E-R-E-C-I-K-H, help me, Holy Spirit, Berechiah, was appointed to doorkeeper of the Ark. And Asaph was so taken, excuse me, was so talented that David put him in charge of music before the Ark of the Covenant. He was assisted there by his brother, Zechariah, and he was probably in his 20s as well. Okay, so he was assisted by his brother, Zechariah, and probably in the 20s, uh, super talented, that David put him in charge of the music and the Ark of the Covenant, and... You're going to find out why Asaph had this feeling that was come over him in Psalm 73. It's going to make sense. Well, you have to understand, again, that he ministered and was assigned his duties during the whole reign of David, during the whole reign of Solomon and Jeroboam. And Solomon... As you know, was David's son. David wasn't allowed to build the temple because of, you know, the actions that he had taken. And God, you know, felt that he had too much blood on his hands. So he said it would come out of David's bloodline. And Solomon was able to build the temple. However, 
Solomon started off very wise and humble and under God's counsel, but over the course of his reign, he turned, he changed. Uh, his mother uh, told him that pretty much the death of him would be um, wine and foreign women. And because he had so many different wives and concubines, he started to move away from the worship of his ancestors, the worship of his father, and the worship that he promised that he would have for God. And it was a, a wickedness, if you will, with a lot of those that were serving in the temple. And Asap decided that he was going to be true, just like his brother, Zechariah. And they spoke out about the wickedness. They spoke out and, you know, constantly... Um, would not stop speaking out about it. And in the end, it cost Zechariah his life. I mean, you will see that Jesus quotes in Matthew that this was a priest that was killed and fell in between, you know, the temple. Uh, so you have to understand where Asaph was at this particular time in his life that he wrote uh, Psalm 73 and what he had been reflecting upon and, you know, and where he was. So I wanted to, you know, give you that background. And so I think we can read uh, Psalm 73 and, and have a, a real appreciation and perspective uh, for the struggle that he was in. And I think you will see yourself a lot in him. Uh, I know that I've seen myself in him and there's some things that, you know, we have to, you know, really address uh, in our lives. And if we are going to, you know, really, really stay true, you know, to the word of God, you know, to the service that God has given us and not be distracted about the wicked, because sometimes we can get distracted. That's why we're talking about uh, from protest to praise. Amen. So let's look at uh, Psalm 73. I'm in the New King James Version, and the Word of God says this. Verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Two. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Three. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. Five, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Six, therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Seven, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. Eight, they scoff. And speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Nine. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues walk through the earth. Ten. Therefore his people return here and waters of a cup. Excuse me. Let me repeat that. Ten. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Eleven. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Twelve. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increased in riches. Thirteen. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocent. Fourteen. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened 
every morning. 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. 19. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. 20. As a dream, when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. 21. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. 22. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. 24. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. 26. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 27. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Amen. Now, first of all, we have to understand who the wicked is. The wicked that he is talking about are in the house of Israel. Because if he wasn't talking about the house of Israel... He would have said other nations. He would have said pagans. He would have said Gentiles. There were other words that he would have used to describe those outside of the house of Israel. So we have to understand that the wicked that he is talking about is concerning those who are wicked in the house of Israel. You have to understand he served in the temple. So his official duties would be, you know, in the temple and he would have official duties outside the temple. But he is working specifically with those who do the work of the Lord. He is serving the king. But you have to understand he was so talented that he was put over the watching and the music of the Ark of the Covenant. That, that, that is huge. Now his father, believe it or not, was the doorkeeper of the Ark. So, you know, this is part of his bloodline in being a Levi. It's tremendous. It's huge. So, he has a, a very serious vantage point. And let's not forget, his brother was assassinated for speaking out about how Solomon was conducting himself and those who were serving as he was serving under Solomon. Doing priestly duties. 
So, he is very clear on who he is speaking about. Now, verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. It's a straightforward statement. He establishes that God is good. And who is God good to? Israel. And not only is he good to Israel, but those who are pure of heart. So he's definitely making the statement that God is good. Now he starts making it personal, speaking as from his heart. Verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. His faith. His work. And some people get to the point where they're in the house of God, working in the house of God, ministering in the house of God. And something happens. And it causes them to question their purpose, why they're there, and if they're even going to continue. It's almost as if we're familiar with those of us who are in Christ. We're losing our grip. This is very, very serious at this particular time. And, and remember... He has served for three kings now. This is it's very serious. Where he is. He is having a serious spiritual dilemma. Very serious. Verse 3. For I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, here is the spiritual heart condition. He is saying he is envious. He is having a problem with envy based on his perspective and what he's viewing. Now, he's stepping out of God's realm. He's stepping into his realm and he admits. He's confessing, I'm envious. And how can you evangelize the wicked? When you want to be wicked. Envious means you want to be like somebody that you believe they have something that is of value. Now, these priests and those who are doing the work in the temple, he's already said they're wicked. Now, how can you evangelize? How can you bring someone to a godly perspective? If you're envious of what they have. That's a dilemma right there. Men and women of God. And we, we have to decide. So I can really appreciate his honesty. And identifying his heart condition. And from his perspective. So let's go further into the scriptures. Four. For there are no pangs in their death. But their strength is firm. So over the course of his life, he's seen a lot of death. And to him, it wasn't painful from his perspective. And he envied that. He he thought that that was good. 
that there was no apparent pain in their death. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. There's no morality. There's no compass. There's no commitment and obedience to the things of God. Really. Because it has to happen internally. So they didn't have a problem. When they did things that didn't bother them. That was outside of what they were supposed to do. Plagued. When you see that word plagued. If you remember plague was something that. The. Hebrews were able to see. Happen. In the book of Exodus. And the many plagues. That came upon Egypt. That's a very strong word. That's a very strong imagery. Plagued. He said, nor were they plagued like other men in verse 5. Just think about that. Plagued. That's monumentous. That is on a scale that is international. It's recognized worldwide. Plagued. Many nations could identify with that. It's a very serious statement. Six. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. You know, his brother was assassinated. For speaking out on the things of God. Here he was a young man in his 20s. And he has served three kings. And from his perspective. Nothing had happened to these people. That had done horrible and horrendous things. Shedding innocent blood. Killing servants of the most high God. In the house of God. What could be more. Traumatizing to a servant than that. And. People wore necklaces. During that time. To denote. Wealth and honor and status. So this was like. Wow. They're so. Arrogant. To put it on display and to be proud of it. It was. Crushing to him. From his perspective. He says in verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. 
they have more than their heart could wish. They had affluence. They were people that people flocked to, wanted to be like. They didn't want for nothing. Eight, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They didn't care about other types of people and what they were doing to them. They were high and they were mighty. Nine, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues walk through the earth. The scriptures weren't something that applied to them. It was for the other people to adhere to. And they did this openly. As they moved in their daily lives, in their daily work. As if the word of God didn't apply to them. They were immune. They had arrived. They were set. Their place was secure. It was cemented. In this realm and the next. So they thought. Moreover. So he thought. Ten. Therefore his people returned here. And waters of a full cup and drained by them. More than they could eat, more than they can drink. It just, it went on and on. No cares, no worries. Eleven. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Like they were all knowing. like well you know how does God know about what we do or what we don't know what we do or what we don't do they were just living for the now they didn't have any concern with the hereafter and this was from Asaph's perspective where where was God? Why was God allowing this? These were wicked men that were doing evil. And if God's good, how could he allow this evil to happen? In his house, if you will. And a lot of uh, believers have seen and witnessed things. And they are keeping their minds focused on God's business. But like I said, we have to look at the heart condition. And he was envious. And he said that he was. Because to him, they weren't getting their just due. It wasn't happening fast enough. And God was good, but he wasn't doing what he needed to do. From his perspective. We have to be very, very careful. 
when we make a charge against God. And this is where you have the slippery part of stumbling. Now, he said he had almost stumbled in verse 2. My steps had nearly slipped. He was very close. So we have to see ourselves. And how transparent he is. And how passionate he is about making sure that we see this. And how quick it can take you over. You can't be like the enemy. You can't envy the enemy. You can't want to be anything like him. In any capacity. Verse 12. Behold. These are the ungodly. Who are always at ease. They increase in riches. That's from his perspective. Now he says that they're always at ease and increasing in riches. 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. 14. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. God does the chastening. God releases the plagues. And he's making a statement. In verse 13. Surely I have clean, cleansed my heart in vain. Wow. That would be for nothing. When you do something in vain. You did it for nothing. It was a total waste of time. It was not beneficial. It's counterproductive when you do something in vain. And then he says he washed his hands in innocence. There's no blood on his hands. He wasn't about the destruction. Of men. He didn't succumb. To that. That greedy men. And men of opulence. And affluence. A lot of times. Succumb to. Power. That's corrupting. Now. We have to understand. In being fair. That God blesses. Many with abundance. But that's to be a good steward. It has a lot to do with stewardship so that they can help those who are less fortunate. God didn't give them abundance to be covenants, to be greedy, to use it as a hammer of oppression, to keep people down. It was given to be a blessing. And that's having the right heart condition with things that you've been given. They're not for you. 
Do you benefit? Yes. But you're not supposed to solely benefit. There's nothing wrong with people having money. It's something wrong when money got you. When that's all you think about. When that's all you want to be about. And constantly boasting about what you have and what somebody else doesn't. So we cannot be mad or despondent over people who have been blessed. Because there are a lot of people who are very generous with what God has given them. And to God be the glory. But in Asaph's perspective, there was a real problem with these type of people. And it caused him to be envious of their lifestyle. Because he didn't see any judgment associated with it. He didn't see any rebuke associated with it. He didn't see any consequences associated with it. And he attributed it to God. Because it was God's job to do something. And it wasn't being done. However, he felt pressure that he was experiencing by being obedient and doing the things of God. And what had it gotten him? This is his spiritual dilemma at this particular time. Protests. We see the protests. Now we got to get to the praise part. 15. This is probably one of the most pivotal verses in Psalm 73. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. See, he has not publicly spoke any of these verses 2 to 14 publicly. This is his internal struggle. This is His prayer request to the most high God. This is where he's saying, I am in the process. But he has enough faith left that he has not spoken out loud. His issues. Because he says, behold, I will have been untrue to the generation of your children. See, he, he, he knows that envy is not of God. So he can't speak publicly about a spiritual issue that he's having. He is trying to get it right. And I love him for that. Amen. For going to God with your heart condition. How you are feeling right now about something. 
and really acknowledging who you are and how you feel and the position that you're taking, the characteristic that you're taking on, the characteristic of envy in this particular context has clouded his judgment to the point where he says, I almost stumbled. My steps have nearly slipped all this way to be a person of faith, to give your life to God and to his service, and then have this dilemma. But it's identifiable, and God can work with it because he is being honest. He's speaking truth. And he says what his position is and his part in it. It's riveting. Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Wow. That's it. The word of God tells us his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We are mere men and women. We are sinners saved by grace. We can't possibly know what God knows. Nor think like God thinks. But we're supposed to model his character. Amen. He can't make sense of it. It's too painful. Because these are people that are in the house of Israel. They're not outside the house of Israel. Servants of the Most High, of the priestly order. It's a brother being assassinated for speaking to the king. And those who serve the king in a priestly manner. That this is wicked. To move away from God. To embrace. Idolatry. To profane the temple and the word of God. This is service unto death. This is real. His very soul is aching and needing help with the spiritual dilemma. So, here we are. Brought to this point where he says it was too painful for me. He can't even begin to understand. It's verse 16. This is when it's going to change around. And now if we look at verse 17. It says until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood therein. Fellowship. Going into the sanctuary of God. That's when it becomes clear. Then he starts to understand therein. See, because we're only in this life for a short period of time. We will die in this present state. 
But as believers, when we accept the gift of salvation, that's eternal life. Eternity. And we put a lot of emphasis on material things. A lot of people, when they talk about heaven, they talk about the streets paved in gold. They're going to have a mansion. You know, no more sickness. No more pain. The ultimate goal for us as believers is to stand with God in eternity and be in worship with him. Just to be in his presence. That's the ultimate. That is that we should keep our eyes on. That we will be able to be in fellowship with him. Unbroken fellowship. That there's no darkness. That he is the light. That the scriptures are true. And we will be able to have our rightful place. There's nothing wrong with having things. But if it becomes your sole focus, your total reason for living... And even aspiring to be into heaven. Then something is wrong. The heart condition needs to change. Ours should be of humility. Obedience. Faithfulness. Thanksgiving. True peace. That the Prince of Peace provides. That we're at peace with everything. Every fiber of our body. Everything that exists outside of our body. And every dimension that we are created. That's what we should be aspiring to be. And to walk in that wonderful wonderment called a child of God. God should not be reduced to things. So he says when I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. See, see, before it was them. You know, I feel a certain way. Them, as far as wickedness. Now, it's God. I understood because of God. 18, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. See, now he's taking the focus off of his need and his envy and giving it back to where it should always be. God knows all. God sees all. God is very aware of what's going on. 
And when he wants to administer that that needs to be administered, it would be for the right reason at the right time by the right one. See, when we become believers, some people are under the false illusion that you have no more trials and tribulations. There's no more adversity. Everything is smooth sailing. That would be a lie if you're being taught that. Adversity builds us up. And in that adversity, God is with us. You're not alone. Job wasn't alone. Job might have thought he was alone, but he was never alone. Joseph wasn't sold into slavery because he did something wrong. His brothers were jealous. And felt Joseph need to be taken down a notch. Some even thought he should be killed. We need to really, really look at our hearts in this text right here and see where we are. But now he's coming back and realizing that what God has said is true. He he is coming back to the word. He's coming back to the promises of God. And he's probably looking at Deuteronomy 28. I would suppose. It's just my opinion. Amen. Nineteen. Oh how they are brought to desolation. As in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. See. He doesn't have to concentrate. On what he thinks they have. And how they're enjoying it or not enjoying it. That's not his concern anymore. And that should not be our concern. What we think somebody has. And how much they're enjoying it. And how much they're being elevated. That should not be our focus. Because when you're concentrating on them, you're taking your eye off of God. Amen. 20. As a dream when one awakes. So Lord When you awake, you shall despise their image. He's given it to God. He's trusting God in this moment, in this hour, in the fellowship that he's having with him. And we're told to fellowship. 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. See, that's past tense. The word grieve has an E-D on it. And the word vex has an E-D. See, he says, was is past tense. He's no longer grieved. He's no longer vexed. No longer grieved in his heart or vexed in his mind. 22, he said, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. A beast. Uncontrollable. Dangerous. Striking at a moment's notice. 
wanting to subdue that that is in its sight. Take it down. And he admits, he said, I was foolish and ignorant. 23, he said, nevertheless, I am continually with you despite my foolishness. Despite my grief, despite being vexed, despite my actions, I am continually with you. Speaking of God, the most high. You hold me by my right hand. See, even though we want to twist and take our hand out of God's hand, he's holding it. Gentle, steady, guiding us, molding us, keeping us on the journey, keeping us focused. 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. See, it's all about him recognizing that he's going to be guided by God's counsel. He cannot take his own counsel. And then he's saying, even in the end, I will be received in your glory. Not his own, not of a man-made nature. Of a supernatural nature. That of God's. 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Remember I talked about fellowship in heaven and with God? That's what it's about. Worshiping with God. Being in his presence continuously. Never being separated. It says, and there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. See, that's what he's living for. He is making the declaration. He's speaking of he and God's fellowship, unbroken, continuously. His worship, his service, despite what he was envying for a moment. He realizes. No. His relationship. His true relationship. His first love. His true desire. Is to be with God. Whatever the cost. In life and in death. I want you Lord. I desire you Lord. 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even though I'm human, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I realize it's you, Lord. You are enough for me. You are my portion. You are my life. You are enough. Not what I was envying, but you, Lord, you are enough. 27, for indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. 
God's history and his record speaks for itself. He doesn't need to doubt that. 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. At the conclusion of the matter, he's with God. And he thanks God that God saw to it that he almost stumble wasn't a stumble. And that nearly slipped wasn't a slip. But a way that God used a lesson to draw him closer to God. So he didn't end up like those that he was envious of. Like again, you can't evangelize those that are your enemy. Because you are envying them for one thing. And that's a problem. And if envy is your enemy, you cannot evangelize it. So I hope you were blessed by Psalm 73 and that you were blessed by Asaph. And I hope that you read more about him. He could teach you a lot. And he's with the Lord. And I look forward to meeting him one day. He blessed my soul tremendously. And I hope that you really enjoyed our discussion on protest to praise. It's not too late for us to get our hearts right and continue to do the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you and God bless. Save the lost at all costs. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. 